0: It is good to be back with you again and a privilege to greet you in the name of Jesus, our risen, living Savior, our hope, both for this life and for the one to come. I invite your attention to Matthew 5 for a couple of verses. The message, Matthew 5 and verse 1. Introduction to the Sermon on the Mount And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain And when he was set, his disciples came unto him And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven I'd like to look this morning at the first beatitude here the Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and what it means to us today and living the Christian life it does seem like when God has something really important to say and everything that he gave us is important but when there's something new or he's introducing um, a new concept he does it from the from a mountain and this is no exception Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. I found it interesting to follow some other mountaintop experiences, and I'd like to do that by way of introduction. Exodus uh, 34 and verse 29. This is the second giving of the law. Remember, Moses went up into Sinai, came down with the law and found the disaster of the golden calf. And now he went back up again. Law is given once more. in verse 30, Exodus 34 and verse 29. It came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh, nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again, until he went in to speak with him. Moses, being in the presence of God and being given these words that God gave him, the, just being in the presence of the Lord, his face visibly shone, And the people, it was a fearful thing, they asked him to put the veil on his face because they couldn't stand to look at at the face of Moses. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Notice again a very similar situation. Now Jesus being transfigured, and I believe it was the disciples were getting a glimpse of his divinity. And his face actually shone. The interesting part is that we have with him Moses, representing the law. God gave the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. Elijah, representing the prophets. And so we have all three, the law, the prophets, and now Jesus in the new dispensation. And making sense out of it all. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. From now on, I speak through my Son. I speak through His life and through His words. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 7. But if the ministration of death, written and and engraven in stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ." But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall be taken, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is another shining face as we. In a glass, the veil taken away, we clearly looking into the, the word of God and hear what Jesus left us. We with open face, beholding that glory, are changed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of God. Hebrews 12 and verse 18 Hebrews twelve, verse eighteen, For ye are not come into the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and uh, darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard, entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain it shall be stoned, or thus through with the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape? If we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only but also heaven, and this word yet once more signifying signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, and those that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire we have received the things that will endure that cannot be shaken let's see that we don't turn our backs on him who speaks to us today I just find a beauty and a glory in the threads that follow through scripture like that sometimes perhaps they're coincidental But uh, I don't think this one is. And even if they are coincidental and they help us to appreciate truth and remember things, I don't think it's wrong to um, consider them in that way. One more thought on the glory and the shining face, 1 Corinthians 11. passage that we addresses the veiling of our sisters but it has a message in here for us as men directly related to the glory of the Lord and being changed into the same image from glory to glory 1 Corinthians 11 and we recall the veil that Moses had on his face and Jewish practice to this day for the men in worship is to veil their face or not their face but whatever they wear their their caps and untaken away for us as Christians First Corinthians 11 verse 7 for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God but the woman is the glory of man and so the Teaching on the veil, headship, in the home and in our relationships is based on the glory of the Lord, that we are created in his image and we as men have the privilege of leading out and seeing that glory being changed from glory to glory as by the Spirit of God and leading out in in that glory in our relationships. That is the message of the veil for us as men. We don't cover our head to openly reflect the glory of the Lord in our relationships and in all of life. Let's see that as a privilege to stand with unveiled head and to share it in our relationships. Those are some of the Mountains through the Bible, coming back now to Matthew 5. Back at Sinai, there were limits. They were commanded not to come close. Anybody that dared to approach and touch meant death. Even a beast would be shot through. Here, Jesus, seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. There's access, there's freedom, there's an invitation. All who can, ooh, all who will can come. Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The invitation to come in the presence of Jesus into the yoke with him and to learn of him. And I think that is the invitation on the, the Sermon on the Mount here. The idea of an openness to be in his presence. Sometimes we think that the disciples were so privileged, and they were to be in the bodily presence of Jesus. But truly ours is the same, to be in the yoke with him and to learn of him, because he is meek and lowly, and we shall find rest for our souls in in doing so. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to consider a little bit the term blessed. And some translations translate it as happy. And I think happy is part of being blessed, or at least some of the time. But the term is a spiritual quality and not an emotional quality. Happy reduces the takes quite a bit out of the, the teaching here from the Beatitudes some of my most blessed times have been some of the times that I have been saddest I think of the walking through the valley of the shadow of death and facing leading up to the death experience and the deathbed itself, deep sorrow and sadness, deep struggles and fears and uncertainties, deep discouragements, but in the end I would say that it was the most blessed experience that I've had in my life. truly to be in the presence of a Christian who is dying and going to be with the Lord is holy ground and I I didn't expect to find that and and uh, realizing that we would need to experience death I didn't expect to find a blessing well I shouldn't say it in that way, but it surprised me, the deepness of the experience and literally of being in the presence of the Lord and, and walking in holy ground. That is my challenge, and when we read these Beatitudes, think spiritual qualities and not emotional. We can be happy one minute and walk out the door and something bad happens and it's all gone, it vanishes. Blessedness is a constant for the Christian, regardless of the things that are happening around us. We do put ourselves under a lot of pressure, I think, to be happy, probably too much pressure. To be blessed, I think, gives us the freedom to weep with those that weep and to be honest about things that we're facing. Our tendency is to come to church and you you need to wear a smile or people are going to wonder what's wrong with you. Blessed are the poor in spirit gives us the freedom to be honest about Discouragement about fears, about anger, about hurts and broken things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the spiritually poor? And I said that wrong, the poor in spirit. There's a difference between spiritually poor, we don't want to be there, and those who are poor in spirit. But they have neither a high nor a low opinion of themselves, but rather, instead of their focus being on themselves, their focus is is on God. To be poor in spirit denies both the pride of self-accomplishment and the paralysis Of self despair to think that you are no good is just as wrong as to think that you are really great because both conditions are stuck on thinking about myself have you ever felt like the proverbial yo-yo you go back and forth between that was pretty good and I'm no good at all put the yo-yo in the hands Of God and it becomes steady and even and that is to become poor in spirit our lives in the hands of God (laughs) from a Greek just a straight definition from Strong's Concordance spiritually poor or poor in spirit beggary begging asking alms destitute of wealth influence position honor helpless powerless to accomplish an end, poor, needy. In summary, to be poor in spirit is to see my need before God. I recognize that I'm undone. I can't do it. I need something beyond myself. So it recognizes my need. Secondly, that God is the one who can supply that need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And to recognize that yes, God does supply all the needs, but he often uses other people to minister those needs to me. And sometimes I rebel at that. I don't mind if God teaches me. I don't mind if he's the one Telling me what to do, but if others might be a little more difficult to accept. But I believe to be poor in spirit captures that idea that... I like to look across my congregation at home and think that every person in the audience has something some contribution that i need we stress and we tell people you have a place to fill and you have a contribution to make and that is true to be poor in spirit also sees that my brothers and sisters all have something that i need and a contribution to make to my life to be poor in spirit is to recognize that anything that I do have to offer is a gift and not mine. The beauty of the Christian life and the beauty of the Beatitudes is that they are not hard to attain. Everybody has equal access and equal opportunities. Somebody has said that no quality of Christian character can be essential, that it is not, that is not possible for everyone. In other words, God isn't going to set any requirements to be a Christian that isn't attainable by everyone here. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is going to be the greatest? And I'm thankful that greatness doesn't depend on my position, my wealth, my talents, my abilities. But it comes to those who are truly poor in spirit and is equally accessible to all. Think about it. If to be in the kingdom of heaven would depend on running a hundred meters in less than ten seconds there would just be an elite few who could do it. If to be truly great would be to be a president or some position 1 in 300 million in the United States if to be truly great would be to be wealthy but the qualities for true greatness are accessible to everyone on an equal level and so if you follow with Jesus you'll find that the qualities for greatness are so easy they're almost disgusting only to make the point. Like Naaman refused to be washed and his servant had to come to him and say, if he would have asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? And of course, he thought about that and reconsidered and went and washed. Let's not miss these spiritual truths because they are so easy and so simple and, and easy to, to overlook. Somebody has said that the Beatitudes, the, the Sermon on the Mount, these are ironic truths. We don't think about them to be poor in spirit. You don't go to seminars to learn how to be poor in spirit or how to mourn or how to be meek. They are truths standing on their head and begging for our, our attention was the way somebody put it. Illustrated in the Bible and other scriptures, to be poor in spirit, Luke 18 shows us both pride and poverty of spirit. Pharisees standing thus, standing the two, the Pharisee, the publican, went up into the temple to pray. The Pharisee standing, praying thus with himself I thank you that I have done this and this and this. And that I'm not like the poor publican over here and the publican standing. Crying out to God, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He had expressed the poverty of spirit. Jesus, we preachers preach and we teach and we, by the grace of God, try to practice what we preach and yet we have our human limitations. I cannot present to be poor in spirit as, don't look at me to become poor in spirit, don't look at me to know how to love. But Jesus could present these truths perfectly and completely and ask people to look at him, look at my life, and so he exemplifies to be poor in spirit. Who hath believed our report, and to whom his arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected among men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Jesus, in teaching it, could perfectly teach, because he perfectly... Exemplified the principles that he was giving. Some time ago, we read the wheel on the school to our children, and I think it's been 15 years since we had story time. And I barely remember this, the story, but I, the idea was that this is setting in Europe Netherlands possibly, and the school's community was trying to figure out how they could get storks to build a nest on their, on their school. I understand that to have a stork on your house or your place of business is a, a thing of distinction or honor, or maybe even supposed to bring good luck, I'm not sure. But anyway, they weren't successful, and... We're discussing a community discussing how they could entice a stork to build a nest on their building. And one old grandmother spoke up and said, "If we want to have a stork build a nest on our, our school, the best thing to do would be to think like a stork. If you want to be like." Jesus, the best thing to do is to think as he thinks. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made of himself of no reputation. It was not robbery at all for Jesus to claim equality with God. If we would make that claim, we would rob God of quite a bit. But he was willing to make of himself no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Take on the mind of Christ. See clearly who he is. And when we get a glimpse of him, I think we'll clearly see ourselves and it will bring us to poverty of spirit. John the Baptist's testimony is significant, John 3 and verses 25 through 30, but his conclusion is his disciples came to him and told them that Jesus is teaching and all men are coming to him, and he said, that's not a threat to me. He realized that his work was to point men to Jesus, and if people were leaving him and going to... To Jesus, that was fine. And his words, he must increase, I must decrease. That is a ratio. um, um, And I know we can't reduce Christian life to math. But this is as close as it comes to working. If that ratio is true in your life, that the Lord Jesus is increasing... The focus on self and you will be coming small. He must increase, I must decrease. A relationship that you cannot get around. Story told of a girl, a young girl, who had a mirror in front of her bed that she could look into as she was lying in the bed and the mirror on the wall in front of her and a picture of Jesus on the wall behind her and she discovered that when she looked in the mirror and she could see herself that she couldn't see the image of Jesus behind her on the other hand when she turned and saw Jesus she couldn't see herself in the mirror and she explained this dilemma to her parents When I see Jesus, I can't see myself. And when I see myself, I can't see Jesus. And that, too, is a truth that we do well to discover in our Christian lives. Don't pursue, don't try to become poor in spirit. Learn to know God. Learn to know his character. Learn to spend time with him. And when we see Jesus, we see God for who he is, I believe it will bring about humility and brokenness in our own lives. Become as children. Jesus taught that except you become converted and become as little children, you shall in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. The essential qualities of children, teachable, forgive easily, honest, willing to take the lowest position, willing to help, and I had written these notes several years ago and almost had to smile when I read this one, always wanting to do more than they can, and after accepting an assignment at Maranatha Bible School for six weeks, I decided I probably, evidence of being in my second childhood always wanting to do more than they can. Be children in your spirit. Brethren, be not children in understanding, how be it in malice, be children, but in understanding be men. Have the mind of a servant. The mind of Christ was a servant mind. One master, giving up our own rights, no rewards other than doing the master's will. Self-denial, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I believe the the Beatitudes are expanded throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and this one is no exception. If we turn back to Matthew 5 and verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven." The poor in spirit realize that their value is only as they affect and influence and give them themselves to other people. Salt is of no value other than as it is added to other things. No one sits down to a bowl of salt. It needs to get out of its container to have its influence. As it goes out then and into other things, it does several things. It brings out flavor... It preserves, it creates thirst. You never sit down to a brilliantly flavored hot dish and explain about the excellent salt in the dish. The salt never gets the glory, but it goes to the cook whose planning and skill put the right amount of salt in the right place or to the other ingredients. The salt brought out the oregano, the whatever. As salt, we don't get the glory, but God, who sends out sends us out in his name. Light is much the same way. It's useful in that it brings, helps us to see other things. When we turn a light, again, we don't marvel at the light bulb. We marvel at the things that we can now see, the illumination that it brings. Those who are the light of the world... Go out into the darkness and help others to see the light of God by living out Christian principles in everyday life. And in that way, God is glorified. The poor in spirit recognize a will above their own. Matthew 5 and verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away one jot or one tittle, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, he shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, because of his relationship to the Father, knew the Father's will perfectly. And so in knowing Jesus and his word, we learn to know his will more perfectly. When we are in the yoke with Jesus, not as equals on a team, but as a teacher and a student, Lord and learner, master and servant. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is is the kingdom of heaven this is your key to the kingdom of heaven this is the gateway to the straight and the narrow way enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction and many there be which go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it the straight Gate is straight because it's confined and constricted. And only those who have been broken, only those who are truly poor in spirit, can even get through the gate and onto the straight and narrow way. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit opens the door to salvation, opens the door to experience all of the blessings of the Christian life. The first, uh, Second Corinthians three, the being changed into the same image from glory to glory, as by the Spirit of God. Humility and brokenness to be poor in spirit makes us conformable and shapeable to the image and to the will of God. It is essential that we be broken in spirit to conform to the image of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is truly to be spiritually rich. It opens the door to all of the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. In the words of Andrew Murray, here is the path to the higher life. Down, lower down. This was what Jesus ever said to his disciples who were thinking of being great in the kingdom and of sitting on his right hand on his left Seek not, ask not for exaltation; that is God's work. Look to it that you abase and humble yourselves, and take no place before God or man but that of servant. That is your work. Let it be your one purpose in prayer. God is faithful, just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place. So the moment God finds the creature abased and empty, his glory and power follow in to exalt and to bless. He who humbles himself, that must be our one care, shall be exalted, that is God's care. By his mighty power and his great love, he will do it. May the Lord bless you.